0: John's Gospel chapter 4 and it is a conversation about worship Apart part 4 I'd, I intend for this to be the last on this series <clears throat> excuse me I intend for it to be the last on this series and um, next week I'm aiming to have just uh, a meeting where we'll have well we'll worship and we'll pray and see what way the Lord will lead the meeting but want to get plenty of prayer done next week. So John chapter 4 and just let your eyes run down to verse 20. Let me get a drink while you're looking that up. This is that woman at the well says Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her woman, believe me the hour cometh When ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. That's very important. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers, underline it, the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now over the weeks we have looked at worship, what it is, what it means in the, in the Old Testament and in the New. We have looked at Solomon's temple, how he built the temple for God. And then we looked at, of course we mentioned the tabernacle, then the temple. And we've covered quite a bit of ground The idea here is that Jesus meets this woman. We've looked at Samaria, and we've looked at that area, which was the northern kingdom of Israel. And we looked at how the Assyrians had carried away the northern house of Israel and repopulated it with other peoples. And so there was a conflict with this. And the conflict in it was this, that they had thought, well, when the Assyrians had carried away the northern kingdom and placed these other peoples they wanted the god whom they thought uh, there was the god of the land they called it which was the god of israel they wanted to learn the ways because they felt that they were attacked by lions as it were but they were being attacked nothing was happening it was good and so because of that um they sent a priest from the captivity of the northern kingdom but the northern kingdom had already become apostatized over many years, and even that which the priests taught them wasn't true Hebraism, wasn't true Israelite worship. So even when we get to the time, some 600 years, seven almost 700 years later, when Jesus is at the well here at Samaria, that's in the northern, where the northern kingdom would have been, she thinks, well, our father... Gave, Jacob give us this well, and she says we worship up in the mountains, and all of that was false. Yes, it may have been Jacob's well, but there was a whole mixture of people there. They weren't Israelite, and they were, weren't just what we think of Samaritans. There was a half breed, if you want, were there as well, and so the Lord must needs go through Samaria because there was a remnant that be there of Israel, and of course He ministered among. Uh, Judea were right into Jerusalem as well. But notice this. He meets this woman and he speaks about worship. He speaks about true worship. So if there's true worship and true worshipers, then there's false worship and false worshipers. And he says to this woman, this woman, um, he says to her in verse 21, woman, believe me. Jesus says this now, believe me. The hour cometh when you neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Jesus says it's now come to the very time where there be no worship in Jerusalem anymore. In fact, Jesus says from henceforth forever after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Yet we find that they're trying to breed out the the red heifer, they're trying to get everything together for the priesthood and they're trying to build a third temple. Yet Jesus says it's not acceptable. You'll not worship in Jerusalem and you won't worship up the mountain. So where do we worship, Lord? He says in verse 23, the hour cometh and now is. That's twice he mentions the hour cometh. That's how close he says you are to this. The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, or God is spirit, in the original text. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now notice this. You're not going to go to Jerusalem to worship. That is unacceptable with the Father. He will die at Calvary. The temple veil will be run from the top to the bottom. There will be an open and new living or consecrated way into the Holy of Holies onto God, which you and I enter in at this time. And this was the message that went preached to the lost sheep. So this is what was told. You don't need to be in Jerusalem. You worship in the spirit. You worship from your being. You worship in your heart Being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, having the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior, and you worship the Father through him. And so whenever you and I come to pray or to worship and sing, we come to play or whatever we're doing, we live. Remember, lifestyle living is worshiping, spiritual acts of worship in our living, in our thinking, in our walking, in our talking is worship to the Father because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. He resides in us. And because he does, he enables us to overcome those things we couldn't overcome. He residing and living in us enables us and encourages us and shows us the way of righteousness to live. That God's law is now written upon our hearts and in our minds. So when the Lord Jesus says you'll not worship at the mountain, and you're not going to worship in Jerusalem, you'll worship in spirit which means you and I can worship him here tonight. We don't need to have a pilgrimage anywhere. We don't need to go to Lourdes. We don't need to go up Croke Patrick uh, to get closer to God. We don't need to walk around the Kaaba Stone in, 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 in Mecca. We don't need to go and buy at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. We worship him here tonight in our spirit, and then the truth according to the word of God and who he is, what he's accomplished at Calvary. That's what the true worshipers will be doing, he says. That's who the true worshipers will be. Now, when Jesus cried, it is finished, we know uh, the title last day, that our sin, our debt was paid And the 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 if you want, the new covenant marriage was about to be instituted because he would rise from the dead. And the husband would be betrothed back to the to his wife again, as it were. And so what we find here is that because of it at that this time the field was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and we have this way into the Holy of Holies. Now, here's what I want to look at this evening uh, to start with. I want to look at a few verses And what you're going to find out is, here's a pattern that that happens in the Old Testament. We looked at it, how Solomon built the temple for God. So Solomon builds a temple for the, the glory of God to come. Man builds a temple for God. Okay? And then what we find is, in the New Covenant, where you and I are, God makes a temple out of man. See? We are his temple. And then when we get to the kingdom age, kingdom come, we find that God becomes the temple for us. (laughs) Let me say it again. So man makes a temple for God in the old covenant. God makes man his temple in the new covenant. And then in the age that is to come, we find that God is our temple. For example, in Revelation 21 and verse 22, the reason I'm picking this verse out and not doing the showing you it in others because we've went through all of that. We've found, you know, when Solomon built the temple, we're looking at John four when we worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks to worship, such to worship Him. Revelation twenty one and verse twenty two. Notice what it says here. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. <laughs> Do you see that? So the word temple needs to be looked at because in the New Covenant, I mentioned it briefly last week, in the New Covenant, what you'll find is the word for temple, there are two main words, there's a few, but the two main words are here on which means the temple, the, the, the Solomon's temple, the Herod's temple, and so, so on. It was the stone, the brick, the, 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 the metals that were in it, the place they went to, uh, build for God, that temple. That's not the temple God's speaking of when he's speaking of the temple either. The temple um, uh, in Jerusalem, and it was the tabernacle in the wilderness before it, in the holy place or the holy of holies. The word there for temple is not, uh, when you bring it into the Greek New Testament now or into the Greek language, it's not hereon for the building. This building we're in would be the hieron. It would be the word naos. And the neos is where God's glory dwelt. It's where glo- God's glory came in the holy place, or the holy of holies. And so we find it in the tabernacle, the naos was there. We find it in the temple in Jerusalem later, the naos was there. And now when that temple is destroyed, Jesus says we won't go to Jerusalem to worship in the, in the temple, the, the curion, the brick, the stone that'll be torn down, but that means if it's torn down, then the place where God would come and visit would be torn down too, where we'd go and visit. So the name for Naos, the temple, is the, the, the holy place where God would reside and dwell, okay? So we want to look at a few of these this evening. When you turn with me to Mark's Gospel, 14? Mark's Gospel, please, chapter 14. And... Let your eye run down to verse 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made, notice, with hands. I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. You see that? So Jesus is accused of saying, I'm going to tear down this temple. Now the word temple there is naos. And what he's saying is, yes, the on the stone temple will come down, but the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel, will no longer be in this place. There will be no holy of holies. There will be no most holy place here. It will be torn down, and God will have nowhere to rest here. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, "So." That will be torn down. But then he was also speaking of his body, remember? Speaking of his body. I will raise a temple up that isn't made with hands. Do you see that? So he's speaking of his body, because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead or of deity bodily. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is dearly clothed in humanity. The Almighty clothed, wrapped, and veiled in flesh. And so he says this one will be torn down. There will be no meeting place except I will raise up one not made with hands. Now he's not only speaking about his body. He goes further again. And the scriptures tell us the revelation of this continues on. So whenever he's saying there's going to be one torn down, that will be in AD 70 when Titus comes, the naos will be lost there because there'll be no place for God's glory to come because God has done, finished with it. He says, it's over. Your house will be left unto you desolate to the Jews. But I'm going to raise another one up, starting with me, he says. His resurrection. Okay, is everyone with me? Okay. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, please. And let your eye run down to verse 47. This is Stephen, the first recorded martyr in the Scriptures. This is, this is him in the New Testament. This is him um, before he stoned to death. And he's given an account. Stephen was murdered for a history lesson. Think about it. He gave them a history lesson, the, the history of Israel and the God of Israel. So they stoned him for it. Notice what he says in verse 47, but Solomon built him an house. That is the Lord. Solomon built him an house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples and made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house Will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Notice what he's saying here. Stephen is saying to the Jews then, he's saying you've resisted the Holy Ghost. He says, and the, the prophets have always been stoned and put to death or put into prison. You're no better. You're resisting the Holy Ghost. He says, you can't build a, a temple out of, with your hands for God because He's bigger than that. There's a wee thing for us to remember uh, that sometimes we place God in our own temple of our mind, the little box and think He's no bigger or greater and can't help us in this situation. That God can't find us where we are and get us out of this. They can't change this for us and he can't bring us through and so we find uh, that we struggle in times. But that's our imagination. That's the God who we think he is, but he's bigger than that. He's greater than that. He's mightier than he's the Almighty. And so Stephen says you should have done this. Solomon built him a house, and even that wasn't big enough. The big temple wasn't enough. So the word here that for temples is there was a an, a naos for God where he would meet Still, that wasn't God's finished product. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. There's others, but I've just picked these out and written them down just um, for example. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's run down to verse 16. Paul says to the church, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Now, let's stop for a minute. The word temple here is the word naos. It's the same word that was used for the temple in Jerusalem where God's glory came, where the high priest could only enter in but once a year. You know when the Ark of the Covenant was there? And the blood was sprinkled upon the furniture behind the curtain the second veil and only one could go in and even in case he died they tied a rope around him to trail him back again because they couldn't go behind that veil that's what was rent from the top to the bottom and so because of that that naos was done away with that temple parts done away with and now you and i we're told the Lord Jesus Christ hath consecrated. Listen, a new and living way for us into the holy of holies, and the new and living way gives the idea of a flesh, a freshly slain road. The the idea is that S L A I N, slain, as as though the animal sacrifice. You see, they always had to be continuously going. But the idea here is the blood of Jesus, though shed once and for all, that will never be repeated again. Though it was done and finished, it's as though it was as powerful this very moment, this very day, this very hour, this very second. For you right now, it's as though Christ has just died this very second. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. And so that temple was rent, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom Here's the blood of Jesus making a way that as soon as you enter to go into prayer or to worship the Father, you're starting to worship through the blood by the way he has consecrated for us and we're right into the holy place where the glory will come and meet. Isn't that fantastic? But greater than that, he now comes to live in you, Christian. He abides in you and you become his temple. So the presence of God, that is the Holy Spirit, he lives in you. And so it's not once a year, and it's not just when you come to church, it's every moment, every second of every hour of every day, he is within you, living in you. So now it's not that we make a temple for God to dwell, but rather he makes a temple out of us for him to dwell in. For him to dwell in. So when we look at this, um, verse 16. Know you not that ye are the temple or the naos? You're where God's glory dwells. You're where the Spirit comes and lives. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now here's a little warning for us. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, now here's the thing. We could we, we go and get caught away with this. Let's not go too far with it. But what we eat what we put in our mouths, you know, we could be defiling the temple of God. Alcohol defiles the temple of God. Nicotine, drugs, defiles the temple of God. Think about these things. You know, sometimes we come, have someone come up for prayer. um, And, you know, maybe, I remember one person a lot of years ago and they come up and you know they, they were smoking maybe 40, 60 cigarettes a day and had a bad chest and they're asking you to pray for their bad chest and you're going but you're going to go and smoke your 40, 60 cigarettes a day we're praying against something you can cut out and do away with so we prayed for strength that they would be able to stop smoking <laughs> as simple as that you know sometimes we think you know the miraculous is x y z and God just comes and does but that's not really just the miraculous yes God does those things but the miraculous is sometimes God gives you the practical and he works a wonder through that and we can just dis- I mean if you're a diabetic stop eating sugar stop eating sugar it's the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're destroying it and we could go on and on and on couldn't we It's looking after ourselves. It's not becoming a God of yourself. It's just looking after yourself. Notice verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. And any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world. Let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Now notice Paul is saying this. You're the temple. The naos Of God. Now stop looking at a man at the front, i.e., like of myself up here. I'm just a man like the rest of you. I'm human being, that's what I mean. The ladies are going, Well I hope I'm not a man like you. (laughs) I mean in the human sense. There's no there's no head of the church but Christ alone. And there's no healer in the church but Christ alone. And I know the Lord anoints for certain things at certain times. But he is the one who gives the anointing. It's his. It's not anyone else's. Everything is his. But you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he lives in you. In other words, you are the holy place. But when the, Jesus says to this woman, you're not going to go to Jerusalem to worship, and they're not going to go up there to that mountain to worship. He says, the hour's is coming now. He says, the Spirit's being poured out, and it'll be in you. You'll be worshiping from in here, in your heart, in the Spirit everywhere. You'll be able to enter into the holy place, not like a high priest once a year, but through his precious shed blood. We have this consecrated, you know what it means? It's set down a road paved with blood once and for all and we can go at any time. It's because of him, because of what he's done. That's something to worship for, isn't it? Let's worship him for that. And the thing is, we think all the time worship. And and I know, I love worship. And I can be um, as excitable in worship as the next man. But I am not a charismaniac. I believe decently and in order. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm unashamed of that. Uh, and I believe in excitement in worship and be enthused in it. And I wouldn't even mind the soft shoe shuffle if you were getting excited enough. I don't care about that. But here's the thing. I was talking to someone just the other day, Saturday and they phoned me and they were distressed and they went to another place I'm not mentioning where it was but they went to a place and this lady broke out with cackling laughter as if he said she was going mad behind him and she started kicking all out around the place and somebody cried she's got holy laughter he says what would you do Ken?" I says I took her and threw her out You see, it's about holiness. Worship is holy. Yes. And brothers and sisters, there's times, even when we're together, the presence of God is evident. Yes. Or you preach in the Word and the presence of God is there. Yes. We should You worship in the Word, you know. Yes. I do more worship in the Word than I do in anything else. It's not the music causes me to worship. It's the Word and who He is. Yes. That causes me to worship. Remember the word to worship. It gives the idea like my big dog comes in my hands or he licks my hands and all you know and he's all around my feet and he's laying against me and he's just so glad to see me and his eyes seem to grow ten times bigger just because I've walked into the room and his tail's going all over the place. You know, he's under my feet and he's tripping me up and I know he's delighted to see me. At least somebody is like, but he is. (laughs) That's worship. That's adoration. Adoring him. You know when we're in our presence, we adore Christ. We adore Him, but just don't come to sing. I adore You, Lord. Adoration from the heart. Now, I notice. Notice this also. When you turn with me to Second Corinthians six. Second Corinthians, chapter six. Just a, a verse or so here. Let's go to a couple of verses. Verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. You know what this is telling me? Watch who you fellowship with and watch who's what's manifesting in your worship service. If it's not true worship in the spirit, according to the word, then don't worship with them. I'm not going to stand and be in an ecumenical uh, meeting where one is maybe worshipping and calling Allah and another one is standing rubbing rosary beads and crying onto the saints I'm not trying to be difficult or hard or offensive I'm just telling you the truth I'm not going to stand in a meeting like that unless they're under the blood and they're calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone according to the word of God alone giving glory to him alone that's the worship in the truth. It's alright, we can worship in the heart, from the heart and in the spirit. And there's many, even in Pentecostal, stroke charismatic circles, and they have nice sayings up on the screen here, and it's lovely sayings in the night to sing it and sing it. It sounds good. There's no, there's no substance of scripture in it. And they don't know even the one heartily whom they're singing to. Well, they know, well, I made a decision and I think I got saved, and sure, this is great, isn't it? And that's not salvation either. Worship in the spirit. But worship in truth. Truth of the word. Truth of who Christ is. So notice what he says. And what agreement hath the temple? With the idols. For you are, ye are, the temple. You, ye are the naos. The naos. Of the living God. Now let's stop for a moment. If I went around every one of you, and this is a Bible study, a believers meeting, and I went around every one of you, and you're all saved, and you're all blood washed, every one of you, I could call your name out and say, do you know that you are the temple of the living God? Not just any so-called God. A living God yeah. that's why we're lively or living stones we're born again we're begotten of the spirit we're alive unto God and, and we together this evening we make and we have a building fitly framed together in him we make up the wall that's why we should stand in unity and in faith together pressing on in the name of Jesus For ye are the temple, again, look of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, will be their God, and they shall be my people. This only comes from the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, we'll not look at it tonight, verses 31 to 33, says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant I have made. And then he says, and I will walk in them. I'll put my laws in their inward parts and in their minds, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. So, verse 17, Wherefore? Wherefore, coming out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith thee Almighty. Isn't that powerful? He goes from saying, You're my temple, the living God lives in you, He says, but I will also be caring as your Father who loves you. Your Almighty Father. Ephesians, please, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And let your eye run down to verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. And holy naos, he says, see when you're together like in corporate worship, corporate Bible study, that is everyone together is blood washed. You're born of the Spirit, he says. you realize you're like the household of God now? And it's corporately you're fitted together. Look, sometimes some people would come to me and say, I can't do what they do. God doesn't want you to do what they do. He wants you to do what he wants you to do. And nothing else. He wants you to be you, unique for who you are, to fit into the place within the building, the wall, the household of God, and to serve him there as the temple, singularly on your own, but also as the temple, the house of God, together when we meet. And because you're not the eye, and maybe you're the foot, listen, I know it's hard to see with one eye, but it's even worse if you're trying to hop along with one foot. You know, you can't have three eyes and one foot and you can't have three feet and one eye. It just doesn't work. Where you are, Paul says, in the body, that's who you are, labor for Christ there, and let the Spirit live in you and walk, move in you and walk in him. He says in verse twenty two, In whom also In whom ye also are builded together. Notice for an habitation no, see the word habitation, if you notice there's a word habit in it, isn't that right? In other words, God, as it were, and I say it with reverence, habitually lives in you. He has come to be settled in place with you. But I'm not up to much. Join the club. We're all not up to much. That's why we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. Let me just put a little injection in here because there are some of you maybe have a, an unsaved spouse or you've got saved and you have an unsaved spouse, or whatever. Does that mean you have to separate? No, 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 no. Definitely not. It would give the idea that if you were to meet someone and they he or she were unsaved, would it be wise for you to join yourself to them? No, 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 it is not wise whatsoever. That's the idea. But if you're already married or you've been together for years and you've got saved and you have children, don't you break up with that person. That's maybe the father or the mother to your children. That's not the idea here. You're already that family. You need to obviously put things right, but no, no, no. Notice here, go with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's a little controversial one for you, okay? A little controversial one for you. Second Thessalonians and chapter 2. Let's go from verse 3 just. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that sitteth, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, there's different thoughts in this. I can't dissect it tonight, but let me give you a couple of ideas. One is uh, general thought that there's this speaks of a man of sin, a one man, an antichrist, to sit on a new Jewish temple built. That's why I'm showing you this temple is not of God. But I don't believe that's what this is. Because a man to sit in a temple would have to be the word Hurion, A new Constructed temple. Constructed temple. I would be hearing on for the person to sit on it. But rather God has made you and I his temple at this time. And the word temple here, who sitteth in the temple of God, is the word nails. So rather then it shows that there is someone who lords over the temple where God's people would be. We take the thought of Constantine who made a, um, a proclamation to be saved who was the Roman emperor of the pagan Roman emperor who then to please and appease the Romans that's the pagan Romans at the time that Christianity was the best way he intermingled paganism from Babylon with the church at Rome, which you read the book of Romans. And so he intermingles their symbols and their symbology. You'll see things like the worship of the sun god, Nimrod, who was Babylonian. And you'll see it maybe depicted on pictures and paintings with maybe the so-called what you would call saints with their little sunburst around their head. That's Babylonian worship. Or you'll see the the Roman mass where they hold up the, the, the disc of the wafer And transubstantiate that into Christ's literal body and blood and so on. That is the sun disk. They actually put it in a thing called a monstrous, which is like a big sunburst. All from Babylon, it came right down through. And there's a man who sits on it, taking the worship of God. He calls himself God on earth, the figure of Christ, the Holy Father. That's how I would see that. That's a study for another time. That's just by the way. So the temple here is now still. So when we get to Revelation 21, we see that God and the Lamb are the temple. So now we have moved from a temple made with hands for God. We've moved in the new covenant that we're in that God makes a temple out of man. And when Christ comes and in his kingdom age that is, after millennium, we find that getting into the age of the ages, God is all and in all and through all, as Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthian church. In case you didn't know that, I'll have to teach on that separately sometime after millennium reign and after the great white throne judgment and all this sort of stuff. What's going to happen is Christ will offer up all to the Father. And there will be righteousness, new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness will be throughout all the heavens, from heaven to heaven, all over. And the Father's glory will be known everywhere. Now at that time, He becomes our temple. We live in Him. His glory is not just in a little temple. Uh, that is an earthly temple. His glory just in that room, the naos, the the holy of holies. It isn't just in you and I, the human temple, but rather we with him in us and in all things with our glorified bodies, we live in him everywhere. (laughs) It's his glory. He's our temple. So his glory, see it growing and it grows, comes from the holy of holies in the tabernacle, then the temple in Jerusalem. Then the glory goes again where Jesus says you'll not go to Jerusalem to worship, neither will you go to the mountain, but here's the new temple, you're it. And then when He returns and changes our bodies to be like fashioned on His own glorious body, when we are saved from the very corruption of our flesh, changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and He sets up His kingdom, then we go into those ages when God's glory goes from the tabernacle to the temple, Naos, to we're the Naos, to he becomes the whole Naos. We just live and glory in the heavenly realms. Isn't that fantastic? That's the, that's what that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. So let me just round this up for you. Jesus says there are true worshippers in John four and verse twenty three. Let's turn to it. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Here's a couple of quick points for you. These are little studies. You can do these as a separate study on your own, okay? First of all, in Luke 19 and verse 10, we have the Son... Seeking the sinner. Okay? Son of man has come to seek and save, to save that which was lost. We have the Son seeking the sinner. In John chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, we have the Holy Ghost seeking pupils. He will take of mine, show it to you. He will teach you. The Holy Spirit is looking for pupils, seeking pupils. And then, in our reading here, we're told, in verse 23, John 4, verse 23, we have the Father seeking a worshiper. You see that? Son seeks the lost, then the Spirit seeks the pupil to teach them, and now the Father says, I'm seeking you to worship me. <laughs> Fantastic, isn't it? fantastic now the true worshippers the word true is a word alethiness let me put it like this it it gives the idea to correspond to something so when Jesus said in John 14 and 6 I am the way what way? the new and living way (laughs) he is the way we follow him the hodos is the road to walk, to follow him. And as we follow Christ, we are walking closer on our path to glory. But I am the way, the way he's consecrated. What way is it? Notice, he is the temple, the naos of God. His body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is God himself. So I am the way, coming up to the temple, the new and living way, which is consecrated the flesh is his veil that was torn at Calvary, representing the curtain that was torn in the temple. And the book of Hebrews tells us that. We enter through the veil that is to say his flesh and within him is the glory of the Father. So I am the way, I am the truth. Come this way. I am the wife. Now you notice, no man cometh to the Father, but I mean, so here's your whole dose, your road through the veil, which is his flesh, that he died at Calvary. We enter right in through the Spirit of the presence of the Father. It's not marvelous. It's magnificent. Magnificent. So now you know what he says, what he means, these things. It's not just for the sake of somebody to throw out in a gospel uh, preaching. I do too like by the way, but that's just not what it's deeper. It's more than that. He says, You want to know the Father, he says, Here, come this way. You come this way. So it means something to correspond. True worship, the Athelanus means it has to correspond right. Our worship must correspond right. And Athelanus comes from a word alathis and it means it denotes the reality of a thing. So something has to be true, real. That you correspond with. Before my, before I was saved, if I had a well, a few and far between. But if I ever I went to church, you know, and they were singing Onward Christian Soldiers and all these things, but maybe your school had a something you went to it, and were, it meant nothing to me. I couldn't correspond with that, you know. There's truth about something. It's a story. What do I know about it? But born of the spirit now you worship this father in spirit yes. in truth and what happens as we do it corresponds speaks truth I love the old in hymn the father uh, the spirit answers to the blood the spirit answers to the blood the spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God the spirit within me, when I hear about the blood of Jesus, it starts to rejoice. The blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Calvary, the full atonement and the, the death of Christ, the resurrection from the dead, and in him I find God. I come to the Father in him. He's going, well, my spirit, the spirit within me rejoices. He is my holy place. Righteousness belongeth unto him. And now he gives it unto us. So when I see these things, we see the depth, more depth of what God has been doing with us. What God has laid down for us. The true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Um, so let me finish with this. Look at John 4. Five quick tips, and literally they are quick tips, okay? First of all, John 4, and look at verse 7. These are for the divine evangelist, as you recall John here, speaking about Christ at this, the well with this woman. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Here's your first point in evangelism, the point of contact. He went the whole way to make a point of contact. Okay, the point of contact. Secondly, that's where I go to verse 10. There's a point of interest. Try and get a point of interest. That's how Jesus spoke to this woman. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that give thee, said to thee, Give me the drink, thou have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Point of interest. Can you see this woman go to the drink, pull up with the water, and he says, Give me the drink? And he says, See if you'd asked me, I have water you don't know about. he What? let me tell you about the saviour. You know when you're witnessing, let me tell you about him. So point of interest is number two. Number three, hit their conscience. Verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. Speak to their conscience. He didn't condemn her, but he spoke to her conscience. Didn't condemn her, but he spoke to her conscience. Go and call your husband. I've had five and, you know, number six. I wonder if I told Jesus that, I, you know, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. There's more grace in Christ than there is in Christians. <laughs> so the point is that he speaks to her conscience Fourthly, verse 24. Speak of his holiness. Now you've got our conscience, our their conscience. Speak of his holiness. Verse 24. God is a spirit and they that worship him must. Do you realize God is holy and you must worship him? You must come his way. Do you realize his holiness can't abide sinfulness? As your holiness? And the last one is this. Revelation. Verse 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. Messiah cometh. Which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, he. Notice, remember, she said earlier in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. It's not enough to see him as a prophet. It's not enough to proclaim him as a prophet. Islam proclaims him as a prophet. People think, well, at least they're giving him something. Listen, the prophet they speak of is still not even the same Jesus they say they speak of. Esau, as they call him, he wasn't deity. He wasn't the son of God. He didn't die at Calvary, which meant he wasn't in the grave for three days, which meant there was no bodily resurrection. Which meant his blood sacrifice, his atonement for our sin, is null and void that it didn't happen. So don't be fooled by people saying, well, at least they believe he's a prophet. They'll, they believe that Jesus, they think he is, is a prophet. But not the Jesus we serve is even a prophet. That's what they think. So Revelation, sir, I perceive the Lord a prophet. By the time he's went through all of this, speaking of worship in the temple, and it's going to be destroyed, we are going to worship in the heart and the spirit given, she says, sir, Lord, I know Christ is coming, and here's his revelation. I that speaketh unto the arm, he. Show them Christ. Show them Christ. And the word he there is in italics, if you're reading which you should be reading, you know what version you should be reading, don't you? Just in case you're reading one of those or funny Mickey Mouse versions. The, 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 the italics is he and he is in italics, which means it's not in the original, but it's there for the flow of the English language. So here's the way Jesus says to her: he says, "I know Messiah cometh, and me. you will show us all things this is called Christ." He goes. I that speaketh unto thee am. <laughs> and because that he isn't there, he stops at am. You know what he's saying? The one who spoke with Moses at the burning bush, the I am, that I am of sent he says, you're now looking at him through a body of flesh. It's not tremendous. He says, I am the way, the temple of God. And when I ascend to my Father, I will pour out my Spirit, and ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost who lives in you. And when he comes back again, we are going to be in the new temple. We're going to be in the fullness of glory of our Father in heaven. Isn't that tremendous? I just think that's marvelous. I that it's marvelous.